Chapter Twenty Seven of On a Donkey's Hurricane Deck. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. On a Donkey's Hurricane Deck by Robert Pitcher Woodward. Chapter Twenty Seven Adventure in a Sleeping Bag by Macaroni. What the devil was the good of a she-ass if she couldn't carry a sleeping-bag and a few necessities? Stevenson Our sojourn in Marshalltown was brief. Before leaving, my master purchased cooking utensils, so that he would not be compelled to travel more than he ought to in a day to reach a town. Now he could cook his own meals. After going into camp the first night, Pod fetched out the cooking tools, and having saved up a huge appetite, went to work to get a fine supper. "'Hello, Coonskin,' said he. "'What do you think? We've plenty of frying-pans, but nothing to fry.' Never once thought of buying grub. And three more disappointed, famished individuals I never saw. But when to get even, they ate double their usual breakfast next morning, and were charged accordingly. Pod was enraged. We trailed through State Center, Nevada, and Ames to Boone, arriving at midnight, May 22nd, and continued the next day to Grand Junction, where a farmer invited the men to sleep in his kitchen. Instead of accepting, they shared with us donks the comfort of the barn, where, after a supper cooked at a safe distance from the haystack, Pod received a delegation of gay young chaps from town. They brought all kinds of prohibition drinks and eatables, and popping off corks kept me awake until a late hour and when I complained, all I got was an invoice of corn on the ear. The mayor of Jefferson, during our stop, presented Pod with a heavy shillelagh that was intended as an ornament, but several times later persuaded to do business. The Irishman also, as a compliment to my ancestry, invited us all to dinner. After passing through Scranton and Glidden, two or three interesting incidents occurred on the road to Carroll. One night we were caught in a shower, that seemed to settle down to business for the night. Coonskin thought he saw a barn in a meadow, so Pod sent him to investigate. He came back soon, and said it was only a double corn-crib, built so a wagon could drive between, under a roof. All three thought it was just the thing. It was better than tramping through the rain and mud. So we broke through the fence, and soon were unpacked and fed all the corn we could eat. The men made their bed in one of the big cribs of corn, the best they could with their scant blankets, and went to sleep. Pod told me that wasn't the first night he had spent in a crib, and I shouldn't wonder if that was so. I said I preferred corn on the ear to corn on the feet. It was a funny sight before the men arose. There happened to be several holes in the inner wall, and the men had twisted and turned about so much during the night in their dreams, and to get the ears comfortably filled into their backs, that it resulted in Pod's head sticking out of one hole, Coonskin's foot out of another, and Barley's seat plugging another. When Pod awoke, his head was red as a beet. He found his feet higher than his head, Damfino having pulled the corn out of the hole during the night. So much did we donks eat that, before starting on the day's journey, our stomachs ate and doubled us all up. Then a ridiculous sort of runaway happened, a fat Irishwoman tried to drive a gentle horse past our party. The pet stuck up his ears and stopped a hundred feet away. Pod called to the courageous driver to wait, 
and that he would send his man to lead the horse past us. But the woman yelled back that she could manage her own horse, and she whipped him on. To the left was a marsh deep from the heavy rains, and the frightened horse made a dash through it, but he hadn't run far before he stuck knee-deep right beside us. The horse snorted and plunged, and tried to get away, but it was no go. He burst the traces, and the frantic driver hollered, so that I almost busted too. "'Don't move your feet an inch, or you'll go over,' Pod cautioned the woman, but she took it as a personal offence, and said her feet were all right. "'Help me, and I'll pay yous,' she implored. So Coonskin waded in, and, tying the reins around the broken traces, led the horse onto dry land at a safe distance. Then he held out a hand for his pay. "'What do you want, you puppin'-jay?' said the ingrate. "'You promised to pay me if I would help you,' replied the valet soberly. "'Oh, gwan, yez crazy loot!' she exclaimed. "'Disposin' them hatness jackas, on jez'll have the money and respect to the community?' Coonskin was water-soaked up to his waist, but before he could get to a hotel to change his clothes, our little courier met us coming into town and inquired, "'Have yous been a-fallin' out with the crazy mule?' "'Not by a blank sight,' retorted the valet, in ill-humour. "'He felt like scaring barley, and he did. Two women met us down the road away, driving a fractious horse. "'Horse got frightened at donks, ran away, upset wagon. "'Both women killed, except sheriff and posse after us with shotguns. "'You weren't in the must, and are safe. Here's my mother's address.' To say the fellow was scared half to death doesn't express it. It was his business to gather information and pace our party out of every town on the best road to the next. On this occasion he took us out on the longest road to Carroll, saying he had paced us on that road to elude pursuit. "'There's method in my madness, Mr. Pod,' said the excited fellow, leaping off his wheel, to better explain matters. If the whole blamed country after yous, do you think I was going to let yous be catched if I could help it? We sticks together, we do. True tick and tin. And when de sheriff thinks he is chasing yous one way, we's chasing ourselves the other way. See? And our courier looked heroic. Pod said he was grateful and slyly winked to Coonskin, who turned his head and grinned. At Carroll, Pod purchased some canvas for a sleeping bag. He said he was tired of sleeping in barns and corn cribs and such, and if he had a bed of his own, he would be independent. Barley sewed up the canvas for him to save expense, and we left town with the patent bed. Of course, the men were anxious to put the thing into service. About nine o'clock, the three crawled in and soon went to sleep. The bag full of humanity rested on the sloping roadside, where the grass was thick, their heads being at the higher end, their feet at the lower. We donks were up bright and early the next morning, eating thistles, when, suddenly, I heard Miss Damfino giggling. She nodded toward the sleeping bag, and I saw a funny sight. The seam at the foot of the bag had been ripped by the weight of the three bodies sliding down against it, and now six legs were sticking out clear up to the knees, the feet turned skyward in all directions. In a lumber wagon opposite, a farmer sat taking in the curious sight, with a fizz that would make a monkey laugh. One couldn't tell who or what was in that bag, except for human legs. Miss Damfina was so convulsed with merriment, she just lay down and rolled. Now it happened that Cheese Five was a droll wag, and chock full of innocent mischief. As soon as his eyes lighted on that row of awkward-looking feet, he quietly strolled over to the sleeping bag, 
and commenced to lick the bare soles of those sensitive pedals. In a minute the peaceful bed looked as if hit by a cyclone. Such yells I have never before heard. The men's heads were down so far in the bag that the terrified fellows didn't know which end to crawl out of first, so tried both ends at once. And slap-bang me if that bag full of live things didn't begin rolling and hopping about the highway like a sack full of oats. One could have heard the hollering a mile off. I laughed so hard I thought I'd die, and Cheese, Dan Fino, and Don were weak from the strain of their risibles long afterwards. The farmer almost rolled off the seat, but finally he pacified his excited horse, got down, and caught the animated bag before it jumped the fence, ripped it open, and pulled out the dazed men. For the life of me, I thought at one time the bag would reach the creek across the field and drown the men. Cheese escaped detection for his practical joke, and I, from the way Pod leered at me all day, knew that I got the blame. End of chapter 27